time off because we are starting a topic today which is of great worth which is called working it out and one of the first things I want to work out is QCP157 your parking lights are on so uh, when we've got our eyes closed in a minute you might want to go out and just check those out but apart from that this theme this month we've got working out here at NCR is really the culmination of the first set part of the year where we've been talking about God and his upside down kingdom and if you are here with us today for the first time we want to welcome Welcome you and say hello. You're part of a conversation that's starting today, which is about how do we work out, how does someone work out faith things in the everyday course of their life? And I'm excited to get to know some of the tasks that you do during this week because we've invited people to wear the clothes they normally wear throughout the week. But just before we jump into that and learn a little bit about from you, we want to affirm, if you like, the idea of God has created human beings for work. That's actually part of the way in which he has wired them. So if you like, when God created, he also gave us the task of partnering with him and trying to continue his creation work of bringing order to this world. And so if you like, he made us a little bit of kings and queens to govern and to order his world. And uh, one of the things that Jesus said just before he left this earth was this great commission, we call it. And it goes like this. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's a wonderful, profound commission, if you like. But the question I want to ask today and for this series is, well, how does that work itself out in my everyday life? Traditionally, the church has said, really, this is the main deal. And the work that you do during the course of the week is the lesser. If you like, sometimes we've communicated that the real job for you to do in your workspace is have everyone converted to following Jesus by next Tuesday. And really, the work that you do in those other hours hours are really superfluous or secondary to that main goal. Which means if you're here this morning and that's awfully threatening to you, you go, well, what do I do? Is my work valuable? Well, the other thing we can do with our work then is say, well, just be a good person. And I reckon that Jesus wants people to be more than good people and to think it through in a different way. And so that's what this conversation is about. I remember when I first started high school teaching, I went into my principal and he said, what I want you to do after the end of your first year, because it was the end of first year of teaching, he said, I want to give you a promotion. I'm going to put you into year eight coordinating. And you've got a choice, Troy. You can either take some extra money or time allowance. The choice is yours. I remember going away and thinking about it, thinking about aligning my work and being passionate about pouring into young teenage people. And I went back to my principal, knocked on his door and said, I'd actually like to take the time allowance because the time is more valuable to me than the money because of the effect it can have in preparation. And he looked at me and he said, I never offered you that. What are you talking about? I never said you had a choice. And I remember as just a first year student going, what on earth do I do when my boss lies to me? How on earth do I live out faith in this environment? Now, isn't that a good question we need to ask? And so that's what our conversation is going to be about over the next course of this month. How do we live out the upside down kingdom of Jesus who is putting things right? And so here's our goals for the next month. We want to affirm you in the work that you do. 
whatever the work is. We want to equip you to think about what does it look like to intersect my world with God's world and my, my work world. And lastly, we want to activate you to be far more active, if you like, in the work that you're doing to think about it. And Chad and, Lynn and Linda. Glad to have you here with us today. We're going to be asking you, and I'm going to be doing the Oprah Winfrey style down here today. So we're going to cover some themes that we've got already worked out on the handout with you. So Ian, let's just start with you. Uh, tell us, um, what did you used to do? Um, or what are you still involved with? What was your industry? I've got a picture of it behind you here. Uh, so yeah, I retired last year uh, at Mayer. That was the second largest cookware manufacturer in the world. And I looked after, as MD, Australia, New Zealand and Southeast Asia. Okay. But I don't cook. You don't cook. So what does Maya primarily deal with? What are they? So we produce cookware and we supply the biggest retailers in the world, the, the Walmarts, the, the Costco's and in Australia, my David Jones, Kmart. Very good, very good. So how long have you been working with Maya for? So 21 years. Not Maya, Maya. Maya, yeah. Very good. Yeah. And uh, what were some of the responsibilities that you held when you were at Maya? So I managed people. I was responsible. We were a marketing arm, so we had 5,000 people employed around the world in our factories and we had to fill them with orders every day. So there was a lot of pressure on sales and making it happen. So And really dominating the markets where we were active in. And did you dominate the market? Yeah, we did actually. Very good. Okay, <laughs> all right. Kristen, can we just flip over to you for a moment here? Because uh, this is a picture of your school. You have just become a principal of a school. Could you tell us a little bit about that? What's your role and responsibilities there? I'm the head of junior school of Beacon Hills College. Uh, so that means that I have oversight for the educational program of 478 students and it's delivery by uh, about 30 staff. Very good. And I can see the playground here. That looks like a swish playground. Is that a swish playground? It is pretty good, yeah. actually. Yeah. <laughs> How long have you been in this role for? Been in this role just for this year. Just this year? What's one of the challenges you've been finding you've been having this year as uh, first time being a principal? Yes, it is. Um, my previous role was looking after the teaching and learning. And uh, all of a sudden, being principal, it's uh, far more than just the teaching and learning. So it uh, includes that whole other realm of uh, parents, which makes it interesting. We wouldn't have any of those here with us this morning, too. So you represent both clans here today. Very good. Chad, let's flip over to you because you work you. with this organisation called Pronto. What's your role in this organisation? Uh, okay, yes. Yeah, so Pronto is an Australian software company, um, and uh, I'm the CEO and managing director. So. Very good. And I saw some of these. This is your team here, is yep, that right? Yep, lots of time. I mean, you take a photo of our work, you'd see a lot of people looking at computer screens. It's not, <laughs> it's not very descriptive. So I'll put some photos up here of various things we do, like trade shows and hackathons internally. And so we do all sorts of stuff to do with technology so and, you do and business. Yes, hackathons. Hackathons. Now, are you Dutch? No, I'm not Dutch. It's just that everyone's orange behind there. Yeah, yeah. That's, one actually, that's a funny story because um, someone found a box of these polo shirts out, oh, several boxes of them out in the storeroom. I thought it'd be a funny idea if I just distributed them around all the way out the front and took a photo. So <laughs> um, we, we got a new logo. So I'm wearing the Pronto shirt today. So that's uh, we got a new logo. We rebranded in 2012, got a new logo. So that's where all the shirts came from. And they Very were good. a horrible, horrible orange colour. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yes, they all thought that would be great. And they did that while I was on leave, so I couldn't veto. <laughs> Very good. What's your turnover as a company? Um, we're about an $80 million company, um, okay. about 400 staff uh, based here in Melbourne, head office and R&D here in Melbourne. 
Very good. And I see some there's some things. You're into engineering and deep sea mining because there's yes. diamonds in there as well. So you yes. need to talk to Wes from Rutherford's yes. a little bit later on because <laughs> there's some discovery there. This is a shameless networking show this morning. <laughs> no, uh, no, there's um, yeah, lots of lots of customers of ours. We write software for businesses. So for example, just showing my hand, Ian's company runs our software. So Ian's been a customer of ours for a long time. Um, and there's several other customers in the room as well, so I have to be very well-behaved. So you're declaring your conflict of interest. <laughs> well done. Linda, Linda, when we were thinking of a picture for your work, we came up with this. Why did we come up with this? Because what we do is actually a little bit like an octopus. So I work for True Success. It's a business chaplaincy company, but we do things like HR, some training, um, helping people live well if they're not going well, um, Dealing with the intersect of when life comes to work or work goes home and impacts life, being in that space. And we seem to grow another leg in terms of what's required every year. That's why it's a bit like an octopus. Very good. Let's stay with you then, um, Linda. Uh, Why are you in this work that you're in right now? So my husband, Andrew, started this company about nine years ago. I was teaching VC English and I liked it. I liked it six out of ten, sort of liked it. But there were conversations I wasn't having that I really wished I was having and there were essays that I was marking that I probably really wished I wasn't marking. Somebody at work said to me, was standing at the pigeon halls one day, he was getting stuff of his and he said, your husband has a really interesting business. And I said, yeah, he does. And he said, why? You're working for it. I was like, oh, <laughs> um, maybe I will one day. And he said, as you heard in the film, what's stopping you? And then he wandered away and I stood at the pigeonhole thinking, what is stopping me? And the answer was actually fear. And, and that's not a good enough reason for me to actually not push into something. So I decided to leap over the fear and do something brave. Very good. Let's just hold it there for a minute because the first alignment we want to talk about today and, and in answering the question, how do I intersect my work life with God's or how do I bring his upside down kingdom into my workspace? Uh, there's three words we're going to think about over the next um, month. Align, shine and shape. And today's focusing deliberately on align. When we align our work, so this is the first point, when we align our work with our shape, we feel a sense of purpose. So just with you, uh, one more question, um, Linda. What I want to ask is, you discovered something about yourself and your shape, not only your passions, but your personality that aligns in the work you're doing right now. It had to do with questions. Could you tell us about that? I think my soul smiles when I get to ask questions. It's the thing that absolutely makes each day worthwhile. Um, so listening and asking questions is is the bit I love doing. And it's a bit that wasn't really happening before I was doing what I was doing now. Very good. Isn't that an interesting discovery that you discover? I like asking people questions, the right kind of questions, to help them work through things. I wonder anyone in this room who that's a way you're wired as well. Thanks, Linda. Chad? Um, uh, why are you in this kind of work with Pronto? I have no idea at all. Um, <coughs> uh, um, I, I suppose, actually, I, I came from a career of... I worked in retail for about 20 years prior to joining Pronto. Part of the reason is I just wanted to get out of retail and get into something different. Yes. Um, and at the time, I was back at university doing an, uh, my, an IT degree. And I kind of fell into this job, actually. Fell into it about 13 years ago. Um, but what I discovered was... Um, uh, it was a bit of a passion and, uh, you know, for obviously technology, people, business, and um, and it was an ethical company. So it was because I'd come from somewhere that wasn't entirely ethical in my okay. previous job. I'll talk, I can talk a bit about that later, but um, and it was a breath of fresh air to me. So it was nice just to actually focus on something that was real. 
Very um, good. And so, yeah, I've been enjoyed the journey through uh, through the business over the last 13 years. So it's been a process of discovery of yourself and opportunities that have presented themselves? Yeah, very much so. Um, it, it's not... I, I never set out to become CEO when I joined the company. Um, I started as a product manager. Uh, I was there for four years doing that. My goal, my great career aspiration was to become head of the product managers. Um, and, and I still haven't achieved that job. <laughs> um, but uh, I, you know, I just enjoy the work and, enjoy, and really enjoy the company. Um, so it's just become a passion. Very good. Um, you mentioned that word passion. So, Kristen, um, uh, reading articles, they seem to say about workspaces that if you can discover your passion at a young age and align your passion with your workplace, then there's this great sense of purpose. Is that your experience? And how did you discover your passion for education? Yeah, it is uh, very much my experience. Uh, well, I, uh, growing up, there was no way that I was going to actually enter into the workforce in a job that was typical of or dominated by women. So there was no way that I was ever going to be a teacher. Uh, in, I think it was year 11, uh, we had to put down preferences for work experience and so I put all sorts of amazing and wonderful things down to, to go and experience. And uh, then uh, I was just put in a school. I was uh, put it in uh, Cary uh, Grammar and I had a year four, I think. And I was given the opportunity to do things that there is no way I would allow a work experience person to do in my school. I absolutely loved it. Uh, later on, though, I was still wrestling with this. Oh, I don't want to do it because it's you know, such a girly thing to do. Uh, and uh, I was reading a, a biography of uh, Peter Marshall, who was a uh, chaplain to the US Senate. Go figure if I was reading that. And uh, in there, a uh, sentence sort of struck me that sometimes... Uh, the way that you know what you are meant to do is that God puts a passion and a desire into your heart and it is him talking to you that is that, that passion and desire. A week or so later, I was, I was talking to my mum and asking, well, how do I really know if I want to do this teaching thing? And she said exactly the same thing. So God has put in me a, a passion and a desire and a deep, profound respect for students, for children, for their capacity, for their curiosity, their capabilities, their enthusiasm. And uh, yeah, I found that uh, around about 18 and still love it. Fantastic. I think I want you to be the principal of the school that I want to go to. Um, that's brilliant. Um, this idea, Ian, of passion um, and the movie clip that we just saw represented the monotony of life, and, and they thought to answer the problem of the monotony was to go to Paris, because all the answers are clearly in Paris. Um, don't we all agree with that? The answers are in Paris if we just got to go there. Um, is work always exciting, thrilling, and marvellous? Um, can you align your purpose and still have some of the drudgery of work? Um, how would you respond to that? Yeah, uh, obviously, uh, there's challenges, but that's, that's the best part of it, and uh, I think having a, a, a way about yourself, a, a thought, a, a belief in yourself that you can take that on, um, those challenges, is so important. Mm. And it's about under, understanding yourself personally and then how you relate to others, I think, prepares you to take on the challenges. Yeah. So I had my own Paris uh, experience. Please tell us. So I actually worked in, in a, a company that has absolutely despised I'd, and I had a mortgage, four kids and felt really trapped and this is in my early part of my career 
And it so scarred me that people could behave so poorly with each other. And uh, one day I, I <clears throat> rang my wife and said, hey, I've got a good idea. How about we go clean houses and I go back and study um, with a mortgage and four children? And fortunately she said yes. But that was my Paris experience because that was the best time. And that was the, the time where I actually thought about how I would manage myself going forward. It was a time to, to actually lecture and, and talk to myself as much as I was talking to students. And in doing that, that really prepared me for the job that I had over the last 21 years and preparing me, preparing me for the tough times as well as the good times. Very good, very good, very good. Thanks, Ian. Uh, Linda, um, it's not just passions though, is it? Because your curiosity also is, is alignment with our personality. What do you want to say to us about that? I think you can be working at a place where the visions are aligned and the values are aligned and your passions are aligned, but it might not be the right fit for you personally. So it could be fantastic for everyone else and just not ticking all your boxes, not because of the workplace, but just because you're wired for something different. So I think when I was a classroom teacher without children of my own, I'm a bit of an introvert. So I could go home and there was downtime galore. But as we, we've got four kids, when I was teaching with four kids and then I ended up, I finished teaching at their school and I would leave my office and go to the car park and there'd be four doors slamming and four conversations starting and not all of them happy ones. I was like, There's, it's gone. My downtime is gone. And then you'd go home and you'd do dinner and you'd clean up dinner and then pull out the essays and start marking. And it was just not a great fit for me personally. The place was great. The values were great. I loved everything about it, but it wasn't the season of life for me to be doing that as an introvert. It's very good. So did anyone else relate? I wonder if you relate to what, what Linda's just said there, um, and that might be part of your experience. Well, ha have a look at the handout here because there's some actions you can do throughout the week. You can check out what your strengths are via character or your personality test. Do that. And, and another action could be ask four people who know you really well to speak into your life. What would they say about who you are and how you're wired? We're going to skip over the next little video clip, so we'll just go there and uh, we'll come back here. So aligning our work with our values. Let's move on to that right now. Um, aligning our work with our values. Uh, out of the panel that's here right now, who wants to speak into this? Why is it important to align values with our workspace? Who's got a story to tell? Okay. <laughs> Kristen. Without that alignment, uh, you're not able to be true to who you are. Uh, so that uh, there's a, a misfit. It's like a, a jigsaw puzzle piece that uh, actually doesn't uh, fit together. Uh, so that I have found that uh, when I was working in a, uh, a place that didn't fit with the alignment, there was just massive feelings of, of being uncomfortable and uh, not fitting and not wanting to be there. Whereas when, when those values actually do line up, then it's just, it's fun to go to work. Uh, and you just, you, you do it so much, it, it has to be fun, rewarding uh, for you to stick at it. And, and, and as a principal, you can say you have fun? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, very good. I like that. Okay. <laughs> Chad, what are you thinking? Yep. Um, I mentioned before about working somewhere that wasn't entirely ethical. So prior to joining Pronto, I worked for an industry association and I was an industry spokesperson. Basically, you know, the guy fronting the politicians and doing media and stuff like that. And um, I was there for six years and I realised it was probably three years too long. 
um, because I, I discovered the more I dug and the more I got involved in the politics of the industry I was working in, um, the less I liked it. Uh, and the more my value sets started to get conflicted with, uh, with what I was actually doing. Um, and uh, it was around the time as well when our first child came along, when Erica popped out, um, sort of around the end of the 90s, and, uh, and that changed my perspective on life. And that was also about the time that I became a follower of Jesus. So my world changed and my perspective on things changed. And I realised very quickly um, that uh, and once my values started to change, things went south for me pretty badly in terms of my well-being um, at the job I was at. Why is that? I couldn't reconcile my values with the tasks I was asked to do. So what did you do? I left. I just up and left um, with no job, no no plan. Um, And it was was a really stressful time. Michelle remember it well. Um, You know, it was was a very hard time uh, because I was also, you know, being personally attacked by the politics involved, I was just a pawn. It wasn't really about me. Um, it was uh, it was actually me and three other three other senior people in the organisation that, that kind of got clobbered. Um, but uh, it was the first time I'd ever experienced anything like that, um, and it really shocked me that people would would sink to a certain level. Yeah. And I realised that you know there are there are many people in the world who have different values to what they should have, um, yeah. and and it wasn't a place that I I could be anymore. Just couldn't do it. What about for those of us in the room here, though, who can't just leave our jobs because there's other things that we're responsible for? Um, Maybe that's one option. But how do you work out those values in the difficult workspaces where where you are in? I want you to speak to this if you can. Is that how, as a... You're bosses right now, or you were bosses. uh, When you're down at the other end of the organisational chart, that's very different. So what was it for you when you entered into your first workspace? How did you reconcile your values, those that were the same, those that were different? Can you give us an example of that struggle? Yeah, I, I actually, uh, joining a, a global organisation, all of a sudden you're thrust into meetings with a billionaire owner, uh, you know, pe- people are running a, a marking arm with half, half a billion dollar responsibility. So it's pretty intimidating. And one thing that I'd always remembered with a story, a quick story about my, my first grandchild learning to walk and walking into a room with all my family around. And as she walked in, we were all hovering, wanting her to walk to one of us to pick it up. So we had bragging rights. And it occurred to me that if this one-year-old could have so much impact on us, us as adults we can have impact on anyone around us. And um, and so I was really determined when I walked in, seeing those people in that room, the billionaires and the, the guys running massive marketing arms, that they were just people, that they come to work, you know, with probably family issues or marriage issues or health issues, and they're just people. And I refused to put them on a pedestal, that I was just as, um, I face the same issues as they do. And w- when I started seeing them through those eyes, it was so helpful for me to, uh, to relate. I wasn't intimidated. And I, I really had, you know, that's where you start loving people, uh, when you realise they've got their own issues and how can I help them? It's not about me. 
You're all bosses, as I've indicated. There's a passage in the Bible that goes like this. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Now, you're not supposed to see your minions like that, um, but we're just having the, the biggest comparison we can have. So masters and workers, if we could put it in that frame. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. I like that idea. Do you Are you aware of, of that um, insight? And how do you seek to live that out as bosses in, in your workspace? Who'd like to speak to that? I'll, I'll keep going there. No, I was just thinking of, uh, we had our president visit us a few years ago, president half a billion dollar um, business. He's okay, so not the president of the United States. <laughs> president of Maya. Of Maya, um, yeah. Of this global company. And we arrived at work, the picture you've seen, and we were first thing in the morning. And as we got out of the car, I noticed this young guy walking out to the foyer, walking into the foyer and about to sign in. And I said, Mitch you know you work in a really hierarchical company? And he said, yeah, I guess so. So he said, when we walk in, Nam is Vietnamese, has a junior role, and he's going to say to me, g'day, mate. And I know that won't happen in the US. <laughs> it just definitely wouldn't happen in the US. And he went, really? And I said, yeah, mate, that's, that's what we do here. So you're going to have to accept that everyone's familiar with each other. And at that stage, I was really proud that, that he, this young man, had felt comfortable to say, G'day, mate, to the managing director. And that he was in a good place to come to work and be positive and be productive. And it's so important for me that we created that culture within Maya. Very good. Very good. This idea of, of drilling that down into your own workspace, how does that work for you, Kristen? In the integrity of the decisions that I have to make, yep. uh, and uh, so, for example, uh, when it comes to, to discipline, in over the last 30 years, I have seen so many methods of, of what do you do with disruptive students, what do you do with naughty students, what do you do with issues in the playground, and uh, you know, you see everything from uh, time out to writing lines to uh, you know, sitting on the naughty step outside the staff room. Uh, to, to me, it's, it's more about how can we um, allow students to actually take responsibility for what it is they have done, to reflect on the effect of their actions on others, and then to work out what it is that they can do to actually make it right. And then from on the part of the, the victim or the, the other party, it's, again, what, what has been the effect on, on me and then how can I respond to making it right? So that whole notion of forgive and forget and move on, I think, is, is really important. And uh, in the position that I am in now, I am able to actually create that culture in my school. Very good. Mm. Very good. Chad? Um, yeah, just quickly, I think um, someone very wise once said to me that there are two... two sort of key interactions that happen in business um, and a lot of people in business are driven by conflict uh, and it's their methodology to basically drive a situation through conflict. And I apologise for people on the end, I can't see. Um, and uh, and th- I think that that conflict, you know, can either it's positive or negative conflict but that often it's negative uh, and that conflict can really, I suppose, damage people in the long term. That's why people get burnt out at work and they get, you know, don't want to get up and go to the work in the morning. But if you're approaching situations, you know, like with staff and, I, and you know, I've seen plenty in my time uh, where you are, and the other, the major driver, the word is actually love. You know, it sounds like a bit of a girly word but but really that's the that's the basis by which decisions should be made and feedback should be given and interactions should happen. And, and I've 
personally tried to apply that. So instead of coming from a position of conflict, come from a position of love. Even if you're delivering bad news, um, it's at that love at the very human level. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, you know, the old what would Jesus do type thing? You know, is this, is what I'm about to say coming from a position of love, even if the outcome is bad yep. for the other person yep. from in their eyes? Um, and uh, I think that's um, because being a CEO particularly, it is both the best job and the loneliest job in the world. There's nobody else other than you sometimes in yeah. the room. And, that, you know, even if there's 100 people in the room. Yeah. Uh, and, and so knowing that you know, I'm actually not doing it alone is a big comfort for me yeah. um, and that I've got someone to fall back on. It's good. It's good. I wonder in that second point there, one of the activities we can do this week is to write down, prayerfully consider, what are my five non-negotiables that I will not cross over or I will not tran, um, uh, uh, detour from in the course of my working life. Or um, another activity that you can do is set aside some time to say, what's my personal mission statement here that I want to live by in my work? We're going to go to the third point right now. Time is always the challenge for us. And so aligning my work with God's work, because when we do that, there's a sense of meaning that we have. And when I say God's work, um, when Jesus comes into someone's life, he, he makes them a new creation. And so what they're if you like, what God's doing in your life is rewiring your values sometimes, rewiring your thinking, rewiring your behavior. And so the challenge we have is how do we live that new creation out? Because God says he's going to one day build and, and re- reconvene the whole world, if you like, restore it. And so how do we align my being a new creation to the new creation God, the new order that God's going to bring one day? So in a nutshell, how do each of you do that? How do you align your work with God's work, even in those jobs that don't seem to align themselves, like Kaz was saying, nursing aligns itself, the healthcare things. How do you practically do that in the course of your workspace? Linda. Every workplace is like a little world and there's a God of that little world and they're treating people in the little world um, according to the way they live. As business chaplains, we're jumping in the middle. Um, On Friday, I rocked up at one of our manufacturing companies And the business owner was on his way out to the factory and he said, I am going to get stuck into the afternoon shift. They won't know what's hit them. And I said, oh, tell me, tell me more about what you were going to say. And he was really angry and they wouldn't have known what had hit them. They're all young guys. And so I managed to just catch him and pause and hear what was happening. And the concerns were pretty valid, but the way he was going to address the concerns was going to eclipse any of the, the message. And I said, how about I come with you? I'll come with you to the meeting. And him knowing that there was going to be another set of ears meant that he reconsidered the way he was going to say. Um, I went with him to the meeting. It was a good meeting. I asked him to make sure he didn't go back for part two of the meeting once I'd driven off. (laughs) Who knows? Um, If I can bring in the worth of an individual and the dignity with which God would treat people into a factory, that's just a really, really good day. Very good. And I would say that's the kingdom of heaven coming to earth through your work because there was about to be chaos and you just brought some order because of the way in which you're wired. Well done. Uh, well done, Linda. Chad? Um, well, we've done, can do, you can do little practical things. Like this year I put the word Christmas back on our Christmas cards. Um, Why did you I know, do that? Radical. Yeah. Because the last few years we'd said seasons, greetings, 
happy, you know, best wishes for the season. It just means nothing. Um, and, uh, and so I thought it was, you know, why not stick the word Christmas back on there? See what happens. Um, and what and happened? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> We had Christmas. We had Christmas. But why was that a big step for you as the CEO of Pronto? Uh, I think probably because um, previous to that, there was this sort of fear of offending somebody. Okay. The political correctness that had crept into the business world. Oh, wow. Know, okay. You know, uh, it, it, it's hard. Um, just on a, on a more um, sort of personal level, uh, I've had instances where I've had people in my office who, you know, and I do my best to speak to as many people as possible. I pretty much know everybody's name in the whole company, um, or I make one up. <laughs> um, Mate, or, comes in yeah, or it could be a nickname. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but uh, I had you know, people in my office sharing with me real hard stuff, you know, personal crises, you know, terrible illnesses, you know, family tragedies, all these sorts of things. And it's being able to be genuine in those situations. And I, I have this sort of vision that people who are, and there's a difference between being a manager and a leader. And you can be a leader even if you're, you know, the a very you know, if you're on the hierarchy, if you're down here, you can still be a leader in your, in your workplace. And there's a big difference between being having a position and being a leader. Okay. But, you know, Christian people with these values tend to fill a void yeah. that is missing in life in general in the world. The world yeah. teaches you to be strong and to not say anything and not share your feelings, all this sort of stuff. But when you're one-on-one and people know they can trust you yeah. and and there's an air about people who are grounded this way, that it it just helps. And again, you know, we're not doing it by ourselves. There's someone standing behind us. And you sense that. That's good. I like that. So you are working beyond your work. Hopefully. what you are called for, but you see it as part of your work. Hopefully, yes. That's the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. Kristen, how does it work for you? Well, primary education is about uh, teaching children about uh, God's world, how it works, and uh, their place in it. Uh, but beyond that, for me, it's it's about identifying the, the learning that actually really matters uh, and uh, enabling uh, teachers to actually uh, deliver that. Uh, so, for example, you, know, you look at, at school websites and a lot of them talk about, uh, you know, teaching children for the 21st century, critical and creative thinking. But is it actually happening in classrooms? I mean, it's very easy to say that on, on a website. And so... Um, it's, it's about developing teachers uh, and uh, allowing them the time and the space uh, to, to have the capacity to, to do the wonderful things that, that you actually see on, on websites. Um, you know, student agency. If, if students learn something, then they need to actually take action with their learning. They need to do something with their learning. And uh, teachers in the busyness of curriculum and teaching, reading, writing and arithmetic, won't often take out the time and space to, to actually allow students to take action on their learning That's unless good. there is somebody there saying or giving them the time and the space to, to stop, pause and do that. It's good. I want to do it. Very good. Ian, just to finish off with you then, um, uh, uh, cookware and sales, how does that align itself with God and his work that he's doing this bigger picture? But you sum it up really well about loving. Could you explain that to us? Yeah, I I don't think uh, whether it's cookware or any organisation, you you're in a results uh, geared organisation. You've got to achieve the results, get the sales, make it happen. No one remembers what we got. We did numbers we did last year or the year before. It's always about next year, and so that ends up defining you, and that's pressure. And it occurred to me that I can't live in that space. That it's the people that are around me. In big organisations, there's conflict, there's competition for resources. And so all this activity is going on. Again, no different from your own organisation. 
And if I could be in that space, the conversation is a relationship. So great conversations, great relationships, poor conversations, poor relationships. And seeing the eyes open when you just cement a great decision with somebody, that you've been side by side with them, looking at an issue rather than confronting them uh, with barriers in between. And being in that constant space, and I just, I just feel, uh, I think Chad said, it, Chad said it, just a piece. No, Linda, sorry, that uh, that when you have those conversations, yeah. it, your heart shines. Uh, you just know God's with you, and uh, and somehow you walked out with a better world uh, place. Loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbour as yourself, and you can do that no matter what you're doing. Could you please put your hands together for this panel today? <laughs> Well done, well done, well done, well done. There's a lot to cover, there always is. And so I just want you to give me five for a minute, is that okay? I'm just going to stand here for a second because I want to talk to you about the conversation that, uh, uh, that has not just been happening today. In fact, this conversation that we've been covering, the question about how do I interact with God in my workspace, is actually one that's been going on for centuries. Two and a half thousand years ago, there was a man, young man by the name of Daniel. He had been taken into a far, far away land, into the land and the kingdom of Babylon, and uh, he had been captured. Um, because if you like, the king of Babylon by the name of Nebuchadnezzar had come and taken the best of the best of Israel and taken them back to this kingdom, this powerful land called Babylon. And, uh, and the, if you like, the job description for the chief officer in charge of the nobles and the best of the best of Israel was this. What I want you to do in three years, you have to teach these young men the best of the best. Uh, I want you to teach them language and learning of the Babylonian nature. And they've got to be able to speak the, the, the right language, understand literature. And uh, they're going to then be put into the service in the kingdom of Babylon, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. And there was a young man by the name of Daniel. And this is 530 BC. And the only question Daniel is asking as a young man in, in this workplace where there is no OH&S, <laughs> there, there is no extra leave, uh, there, there is no compensation uh, for anything that, that you lose out on, uh, there are no any of the, the work, health, uh, safety and regulations that we understand in our modern day. In fact, there's only one task he has to do is obey. <laughs> and, and if he doesn't obey, he dies. And this young man by the name of Daniel... Uh, is feeling the squeeze of being integrated into this foreign, foreign power. And it's said that, um, if you like, when the King Nebuchadnezzar captured uh, these uh, best of the best of Israel, they all, he also took some of the utensils from the temple and brought them all the way back to his temple of the god Marduk. So, so there's the Yahweh, uh, if you like, uh, the, the utensils in his in, in his particular temple has been taken and placed in Marduk's. And in the ancient world, what that means is that our God is bigger and better than your God. And so the question Daniel is thinking in his own mind is, is God Yahweh with me in a far, far away land in my workplace? And there comes a day, it says, when Daniel is asked not only to learn the literature and the language, but part of the diet is to eat from the king's table his food and wine. 
And we don't quite know what it is about the food and wine of the king's table. I would have thought it was pretty good. But Daniel is a young man asking, how do I be faithful in a faraway land, in a workspace where they don't think my God is? What should I do? And he feels that this uh, imposition of food is kind of like a line in the sand that he cannot cross. And so he says to himself, I think if I step over this line, I'm no longer being faithful to my God. And so I'm not going to do it. Wow, huge thing to say. So he goes to the chief curator and says, I feel awkward about this. I feel compromised in this. I don't want to do it. And the guy comes back to him, Ashpenaz, and he says to him, you know what? (laughs) You're going to do it. Because if you don't eat from the food of the king's table and you look any different to the others, he's going to have my head in three years because they'll know that there's something different about the way I'm executing my duties. So he stops. Daniel, though, presses it a little bit deeper because this line in the sand for him is really important. He goes to the guard who distributes the food and he says, I don't want to eat from the king's table. I don't want to drink his wine. I don't want to eat his food because for me, this is a line in the sand that I need to draw to being faithful to my God and the guard, if you like, says, okay, all right, what are we going to do? And Daniel says, give me 10 days, 10 days of eating vegetables and water. That's all me and my mates, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are going to do. Just food, uh, if you like, from vegetables and water. And it says at the end of that 10 days of drawing a line in the sand, it says they were, if you like, more vigorous and shiny and healthy, not just because they went vegetarian, (laughs) but because they sensed that God was with them. And it says this about them. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds, if you like, because Daniel was being faithful as a young man to say, I'm not going to step over this line and be just like everyone else. I'm going to stand up in my workspace. I'm going to do it wisely. I'm going to do it gently. We're going to hold my convictions, if you like. God gave him more wisdom. And we're going to discover in the next few weeks that he promoted him to new things because he could trust him in a little. Therefore, he worked profoundly with much right there in his workspace. What courage. What courage. There's a passage in the Bible, Paul says, my old self has been crucified and it's no longer I who live, but Jesus lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How am I going to align myself in my workspace, in my school, in my whatever I do throughout the week, my sporting club? It all starts with this little idea that's a profound one. If I've come to know Jesus... An old life has gone and a new one has come. And there's a temptation every day to be just like everyone else. But if you like, Paul says, if you want to live in that space of working for God, of being his presence, you're going to have to walk your workspace by faith. That is, as this panel was up here going, I didn't know what to do between the doorway and the, but I prayed. I didn't know what to do between there and there, but I asked. I didn't know what to do with, between there and there, but I sought. He says, that's the role in the life Jesus calls followers of his to live. So let me ask you, questions at the end. Is there something in your life 
that as you look about this and you've heard all the good things about alignment today that you need to do, what questions you need to ask of yourself. So have a look at this little sheet right now. Are there areas of your life that are a little out of line with Jesus? Because as you look at this, you think, I'm inspired, I could do more, and I'm challenged every day. And are there areas in which you need to resist the squeeze so that you're just not like everyone else? We're going to listen to a song right now on the screen and some revolutionary road that we didn't quite get to see all the end of. But I want you to pause during this song by Switchfoot and ask, are there parts of my life that are not aligned? And God, what do you want to do to draw alignment in my life in what you're doing? Because we're working it out together. I'm excited for this theme. We're going to be back next week as well. But have a listen to this right now and pause and maybe write some notes and hear from God. Thanks, Nick.